welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Scary movie love for scary movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley. Happy Scary Movie Month, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This week on F This Movie, we are talking about the Hammer Dracula cycle, which means I'm joined for this very special Hammer Dracula episode by the man on the theremin, JB. I want to suck your blood. Wait, wrong Dracula. Wrong Dracula. Last year, we did the Hammer Frankenstein cycle. Yes. So it only makes sense to this year do more movies. Actually, it would have made more sense to do them in the, the other order, but we'll talk about that. To do Dracula last year? Yeah. Can we pretend we did Dracula last year and just do something else? Dare we? <laughs> Let's do it. Um, as I said, it is Scary Movie Month. Hopefully you're all taking part in the Scary Movie Challenge. It seems like a lot of you are. Every time you watch a scary movie during the month of October, go to fthismovie.com and leave a seven-word review. We will read some of our favorite reviews on the show like we're going to do now. And you guys have been doing a great job. You've been hitting it all the ballpark, just like the White Sox. And um, we've been averaging like 100 a day, which is really, really great. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, let's read some of our favorites. Jay Bones, you go first. Tyler Rozier watches Curse of Frankenstein, which we talked about last year, yes. from 1957. And his review is, A Genius's Brain, Sculptor's Hands, Beetle's Hair. <laughs> uh, which I thought was perfect. Our friend Ross says of The Disappointments Room, watched this entirely for low-hanging fruit title. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren B., who I think is new with us this year, because... She said something when she posted her first review. Oh, okay, like, cool. I'll give it a go. So nice. welcome, Lauren. Welcome. And Lauren watched Dead of Night, which is might be my favorite anthology film. It's from 1945. Really? And her review is beginning of the ventriloquist dummy cinematic universe. Yes, that is the best segment in that movie. That's the only reason I said really is because I don't think the other segments are nearly as good as the ventriloquist dummy. I like them all. And I, I like, like them all it, too, but not like. comes together. All right. If you held my feet to the fire, I might say creep show. There we go. That's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> um, what's next? Ryan S. says of Prince of Darkness, face-peeling girl doesn't like mirrors either. <laughs> Mookie, just Mookie, reviews The Birds from 1963 and says, like the happening, but birds, not trees. Uh, Alex Keel? Kyle, Alex K, says of Three from Hell, watch them wonder what to do next. <laughs> Aaron Keith watches The Pit and the Pendulum, the good one from 1961, and writes, shucks, we are a family of cucks. <laughs> Adam Story of Possessor 2020, one does not simply deep throat a poker, which is a fantastic Sean Bean joke, of which it. there are too few in this world. A perennial friend of the site and first poster, J.M. Vargas, reviews John Carpenter's The Thing and says, Something will survive inside McReady's bushy beard. <laughs> uh, Alex O. of Slacks. Naturally, Canada makes denim its lead actor. <laughs> Ross reviews Flesh for Frankenstein. Uh, these movies are getting a lot of attention this year because they were at Beyond Fest and the... A uh, Blu-ray of uh, the, Drac the Andy Warhol's Dracula came out, and Flesh for Frankenstein's coming out soon, and it's very great because those films weren't being shown a lot, and somehow Ross got his hands on a copy of Flesh for Frankenstein, 
and um, writes, Frankenstein's back in his horniest caper yet. I've never seen flesh for Frankenstein. Um, to know death, you have to fuck death. What? In, this is a famous quote from the, from the film, and I think oh, I'm butchering okay. it. To know death, you have to fuck life in the gallbladder. That, a, the, and an Udo, actor, does Udo Kier say that? Someone someone wrote it, and someone <laughs> says it, who was being filmed and recorded, and then everyone they put was in, paid they money. They put it in the film, and one of the crew went home that night, and his lovely wife said, "What have you been working on?" <laughs> and he told her that, and then there was a divorce. Ross also got his hands on Blood for Dracula. Yes, easier because it's already out. Right, and. His seven-word review of Blood for Dracula is unmade follow-up, hookers and blow for the mummy. <laughs> I borrowed your Blood for Dracula, and I didn't love it, but I did love the score, so I'm glad that the Severn release comes with a soundtrack CD, because yes. the score is amazing. I I think I like the movie more than you do. Perhaps. But I agree with you on the score. Jonathan Becker, who was at our screening of Poltergeist last week, Mm -hmm. uh, writes, Of Poltergeist, this film was directed by Toby Hooper. Seven words. Gotta love it. Patrick McAllister uh, sits down and watches Arachnophobia and comments, I don't feel bad killing spiders now. Joel Edmiston, who wrote a really fun article for us last week on uh, Tina's in slasher movies, writes of VHS 94, thought this movie was very Ratma. Hail Ratma. <laughs> Charles Lewis watches the recent Malignant. Who hasn't? Good Lord. What, what a great time to put that movie out. Um, and writes, Seattle tunnels filled with antique smoke machines. Uh, Lindsay Wilkins of Dead Silence. The town's ventriloquist school must be amazing. <laughs> John Curvin also watches Malignant and comments, I predict super uncomfortable National Siblings Day. <laughs> Jonathan Mills of Bingo Hell. Is it wrong to expect more bingo? <laughs> now, I haven't seen that yet. You watched it. I did. Early on in the month because of its title, right? Um, because I am rooting for the filmmaker. Aaron Keith watches the original Cat People from 1942, which, if I may digress... TCM is slowly getting it. It took them way too long, but they're all in for Halloween this year. Have you noticed? I haven't been paying attention, really. They're scheduling more horror films. Nice. Every Sunday night, Mario Cantone sits down with Ben Mankiewicz, and he programs two horror films. Is he a horror fan? Apparently, yeah. I had no idea. Um, Last night was Bad Seed, and It's Alive. Nice. And I think their Halloween celebration actually begins on friday and encompasses the entire weekend so way to go yeah because very early on in october tcm showed the original cat people aaron keith watched cat people and his review says simply who cat you cat where cat their cat uh hibachi justice our friend michael scott says of vhs 94 timo makes the best doom movie ever i'll talk about vhs 94 in just a minute have, is that the one I haven't seen? It's the new one. 
Okay, because there was a time when you would force me at gunpoint to <laughs> we watch. We podcasted on the first two. Right. We skipped the third because I reviewed it and it's I didn't like it. And then this is now the, there's a new one. And that's why I've been hearing so much Correct. about it. It just popped up on Shutter last week. People are talking about it on the Twitter machine. Um, Mashkey, who's relatively new to the site and leaves wonderful comments that and I Chicago enjoy based and, and appreciate. Well, and you could tell he's Chicago based. Because he watched Night of the Demons uh, from 1988 on Shudder, and his review is simply, Documents my post-prom. Location? Cuba Road. Very nice. Cuba, Cuba Road. Road represent. Is a local uh, urban legend. When I was in high school, you would go and you would park your car, and then you would get out and walk Cuba Road. And the, the myth was there was a mental institution that was closed down, but they left some of the inmates inside. And the m- mental institution was called Krillage. Krillage, which is one of the scariest words I've ever heard, <laughs> aside from Mullingar. <laughs> Mullingar. And to explain all these inside jokes, Patrick used to live on Mullingar Street. Uh, about a year ago, I took your children to see Mullingar. Pretty exciting. I think it may have even been during the um, Halloween season. Um, those are my reviews, the ones that I like the most, and you guys are hitting it out of the park. Yeah. Um, I have a couple more. Tordesk says of Alien, can we talk about the bonus situation? Blaine Higby <laughs> of Terrifier. Joyless, misogynistic, but hey, art moves merchandise which is such a great review of that movie Terrifier that I am not a fan of, but that Art the Clown has become such an icon of modern indie horror. Oh, yeah. Um, Miko, our friend Miko, who's doing the count every day. Thank you, Miko. Thank you. Says of House, 1985, where everybody knows your Vietnam War trauma. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, TJ Mackey, 432 of Tusk, wish I could not see that walrus suit. I second the motion the last time I was talking to your lovely wife. I was commiserating with her because, uh, as I used to say about some of my more sensitive students, uh, I've only ever seen Tusk once, and that's enough because that film touched me in a way I did not like to be touched. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, he's a douchebag, but good. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, I will stop there because I'll save the next ones. I have like another page of these, but I'll save them for the next episode. I was trying to be selective. Sure. And I started from the day that you and Rob did yours, so I would I think over- that's when I started so I from overlap. as well, yeah. That was that was good thinking. Um, J-Bones, have you seen anything scary lately? Well, I'll tell you because this uh, October has been an embarrassment of riches, and I don't even know where to start. But I will start with one that I know you saw because I think something you wrote on the Twitter machine finally pushed me to watch it. Um, Midnight Mass yeah. is a masterpiece. Yeah. It is so well done and so clever. I have one little quibble, mm. which my wife sort of swats me away like an errant fly whenever I bring it up. But. We're going to talk about the Hammer Draculas today, and those are vampire movies. And so I've been watching all these Hammer Dracula movies to prepare for the podcast. So I'm in a vampire state of mind. And 
the clever twist he does on the vampire myth. I'll give you one example, and I, I don't want to spoil anything, because if you're listening to me, you have to find a way to see Midnight Mass. You are not going to see anything better this year. It's that good. Uh, there is an iconic image of Christopher Lee. You've seen it on posters and in stills from the movies, and probably from other monster movies, too. I know the creature from the Black Lagoon often does this, and Frankenstein does it. But there's an iconic picture of Christopher Lee that's uh, published and republished and used an awful lot. And it's of him in his Dracula cape carrying the female victim. There is a moment at the end of Midnight Mass where Flanagan takes that trope and completely upends it. Do you remember the scene that I'm talking about? No, not off the top of my head, but you can tell me after the show. I will, because yeah. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, right. And I'm watching it, and obviously <clears throat> vampires are fresh in my mind, and I'm like, that is just astounding. So what you have is an entertainment for the naive audience. If you're just sitting down for a good time. I think I do remember it. You will have a good time. Yeah. It's when he walks to the bridge. Yeah, 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 I remember. And, am I, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. not... Um, but if you are steeped in horror movies and vampire lore, Midnight Mass just keeps on paying off again and again and again. It is so clever. Um, it's about what it's about, and yet it's about a whole bunch of other much more real-life uh, terrors. Um, incredibly well-written, incredibly well-acted, where... We, we started looking these people up because the only ones we really knew were Henry Thomas and Katie Siegel. We started looking up, like, where have they been? What yeah. have they been on that yeah. we didn't watch so we never right. saw them? Right. Um, especially the actor who plays the priest, the main character, who someone last week tweeted a picture of him in Midnight Mass, and the comment on the Twitter machine was, let's just give him all the awards now. <laughs> And I believe you liked it just as much. I did. I need to go back because I never saw Haunting of Hill House or Bly Manor. But we loved Midnight Mass so much that I don't know if it'll be in October. We may have to wait till October's over, but we're going to go back and watch those as well. And he does have sort of a stock company. Right. So there's people right. who show up right. again and again. The actor who plays the sheriff, for instance. Oh, okay. Um, also, I was so taken with the actress who plays... The busybody. Sure. Um, because I was, I obviously, when something's good, you can't get it out of your mind. And I was thinking about Midnight Mass, and I couldn't stop thinking about Midnight Mass. Um, this is a character who quotes from the Bible quite a lot and interprets the Bible quite a lot. What a memorization chore she had. Yeah, I, I honestly was impressed with all of the writing because of how much scripture is incorporated or talked about even if it's not directly and you have, reciting scripture right but you have to get that right exactly exactly you can't just make it up and um my one quibble was it's very talky and there's yes. a lot of scenes of two people right. talking for extended Well, somebody time. will ask a question, and the other will respond with a monologue instead of answering the question. Often with both characters walking. Sure. Um, one of the characters who I particularly liked, I'm staring at the screen, and I can't figure it out because there's another character in the same movie who looks almost exactly the same, and I'm like, why did they make that decision? And I realized it was A.D. Bryant's boyfriend from the first two seasons of Shrill. I didn't think he was on this. 
I believe it's him. Okay. I may be wrong. I know who you're talking about, the yeah. guy with the big beard who looks just like Joe with the big beard. Yes. Um, it is it is well worth your time. I think I think this was your tweet. You won't see anything better this Something year. along those lines, yeah. Um, it is fantastic. Yeah. Um, on a lighter note, uh, Francis Ford Coppola got the rights back to Dementia 13. He bought it. Um, he restored it himself. He cut out the two scenes that Corman added that he never liked, and he put it out on Blu-ray, and it's the most beautiful-looking disc I've seen this year, and it has an audio commentary with him that is meandering and wonderful, and oh, the stories he tells. Who in the cast was an alcoholic, and who <laughs> fell down four flights of steps three separate times, only to have Coppola pick him up and carry him back to his bedroom? Question. This is what we want in an oh, audio for commentary. sure. Question. Well, two questions. One, what were the two scenes that Corman added? I don't remember okay. because it's been a long time since I've seen it, and the version I just saw Didn't was missing them, right. although I think it's a bonus feature. Oh, okay. That's um, cool. Because at some screenings, there was a D13 test with this phony psychiatrist determining on the screen if you can handle what was to come. And some screenings showed it and some screenings didn't. It was a gimmick. But that's a bonus feature, too. You get the D13 okay. test. Second, what is the cutoff point at which actors stop being barely functioning alcoholics? Because any movie you watch from the 30s through the late 1960s, possibly the 1970s, it's like, well, did you know so-and-so was a complete drunk? I don't know how people... Did it. I know my favorite is Frank Morgan, who's the Wizard of Oz, used to tell every director he worked with, you have to get anything you want before lunch. Oh, my gosh. Yikes. And th- think about his performance in Wizard of yeah, Oz. Yeah, right. I mean, it's one of the right. wonderful things about that film. Um, hearing Coppola talk about the person he's talking about <laughs> uh, made me think of Oliver Reed, who was right. just right. notorious. Or William Holden. I mean, just knock down pass out drunks there were so many and they you don't hear about that anymore really i mean no well it, maybe they they're better at hiding it keep it quiet yeah. or maybe there's fewer of them and then um i guess universal perhaps didn't make enough of these because dracula frankenstein invisible man and wolfman have come out on 4k blu-ray amazon's one or two months backed up. I guess I didn't order it in time. Okay. And they sent me the infamous email. We have a new date for your thing. Well, November's not going to cut it, babies. It's October. Um, So I canceled that order. I put in an order to deep discount, and I got one. Oh, good. And friend of the site, Heath Holland, we've sort of been talking about this. Because I'm going to be on Serial at Midnight soon talking about these discs. I was just on. And he um, he went to Best Buy and he managed to get one. Okay. So it's quite odd. I watched it on the downstairs TV, thought it looked beautiful, though very dark. And then I moved to the upstairs TV, which is also 4K capable, but is 10 years newer. And it looked completely different. Same Blu-ray player in both rooms. You get a digital code... With this release, right. which is good for Movies Anywhere, the upstairs TV is tied into a Movies Anywhere account that's full 4K. And finally, 
that led me to what I think they want it to look like. Okay. Because when I was on the upstairs TV, I started fiddling with things, which is always a mistake. Um, <laughs> I was like, this this doesn't look right. And I'm playing with the with the brightness and I'm playing with the sharpness. Always a bad idea because I used to have the Joe Kane calibration disc where you would put the disc in and it would run you through a series of tests yeah. and you could get your monitor where it should be, but I don't have that anymore. In any case, there are no new extras. The transfers are amazing, especially on Dracula. The Wolfman has never looked bad. It's amazing how much better Invisible Man has always looked than Frankenstein and Dracula, considering it's only two years younger, right. so to speak. Um I think the 4K Blu-ray of Dracula is going to be my go-to from now on. It's significantly darker than any other transfer I've ever seen. In fact, because they ported over old extras, one of them is the restoration demo for Dracula. And you're watching it because it was originally on the Blu-ray. And when they show you scenes from Dracula, it doesn't look anything like the 4K Blu-ray transfers that you're actually watching. Very confusing. Mm. Um, I grew to love it because it is so sharp and so detailed. You're okay with the fact that it's darker. Okay. Obviously, someone made a decision. This is a horror movie. It should be a little darker. Um, and I grew to love it. Should you buy it? I don't know. You got $66 <laughs> lying around with nothing to do? Do you have to have every version of this? Which uh, you do. Have you counted how many times you've bought these movies? Uh, somewhere on the site, there's a column. But here's the short form. I bought them on VHS. And then I bought them on DVD. So and we skipped Laserdisc. They may not have been released on Laserdisc. I honestly um, don't know. A few of them were, okay. and I think I had one or two. Okay. But remember, Laserdiscs were really expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, VHS, the first DVD, the second improved dvds with the bonus the features. green ones well no and then that was the, the anniversary ones came oh, out the van helsing ones no 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 shit i might be missing one or two okay. and then the blu-ray and then the second blu-ray okay and then the big box and now <laughs> i think it's about eight oh, so at the very least you have to believe that I know what these movies look like, yeah. or I know what these movies have looked like in the past. For certain. Um, it sort of threw me for a loop for the first 10 minutes, but then I really started to dig it. Okay. Um, on the 4K Blu-ray, all the hiss is gone. That was... Uh, recently, the after this movie crew went to see these films in a theater, Yeah. and Adam Risky said it was his A.S., MR. Right. And you said the hiss like slowly puts you to sleep. Yes. Uh, the hiss is nowhere to be found. Well, on, how will I know? Four case. I love Dracula. But yeah. it, it puts me to sleep. And uh, in a good way. Mike Pomero of yeah. F this movie. Yeah. A filmmaker of some renown. He had the greatest seven word review because later um at um uh Poltergeist, I talked to him. Yeah. That he was surprised because he thinks there's more stuff in Dracula that still works than doesn't work. Okay. There's still more there. Yeah. I agree than, with that. Than stuff that maybe you would laugh at or something, which was my exact reaction when we were seeing it in the theater. I was like, 
this this still works for me. I mean, the days where I said, oh, it's too stage-bound, it's too slow. No, I was wrong. No, I still really love it. Um, my 12-year-old son who was with us liked Frankenstein better. And one can argue that what he's actually commenting on is James Whale versus right. Todd Browning at the end of his career. Right. And there's a lot of people who say that Froond actually did a whole bunch of the direction on uh, Dracula. Dracula, yeah. Um, I've got a couple things worth mentioning. The first one we watched together, and I wanted to get your take on it, and that is uh, The Muppets Haunted Mansion that just premiered last week. I thought it was completely delightful. I've seen a few reviews that were all negative. It was like, I miss Jim Henson. This is garbage. Well, I was surprised. As a Haunted Mansion fan, I felt like it delivered. I thought it was more of a Haunted Mansion movie than the Eddie Murphy movie. Oh, for sure. I I didn't feel it was fan fiction. I felt like they were having fun with something right. that they share a love of along with me. Maybe that's the definition of fan fiction, but I didn't think it existed just to exploit it. I thought I thought it worked as a Muppets thing, although I'm less enamored with... Is his name Pepe? Just because he's a newer Muppet, I didn't grow up with him. He's not my favorite. He's like the Elmo of the Muppets. And I think Pepe's hilarious. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, whatever. Uh, but I liked all the stuff with Gonzo. I liked the little character thing that they did with him. I don't know. I, I really had a good time with it. I liked all the guest stars. I thought every yeah. single one of them looked like they really wanted to do this. They were having fun. Darren Chris shows up as the caretaker and sings a little song. And as was it you or Charlie who said, is that Pat Sajak? That was Charlie. Pat Sajak is in the Muppet <laughs> haunted mansion folks. Maybe that's reason enough for you to watch it. Um, I'm not going to overanalyze it. Is it the greatest thing ever made? No. But it was 45 minutes, and it was it was funny and really fun. Yeah. And it was about something that I love. Yeah. And didn't disparage it, didn't talk right. down to it, didn't, right. didn't it, not exploit it, but, like, you wonder what the Eddie Murphy movie has to do with The Haunted Mansion. It's just, it's this bad haunted house movie, and then they added details about The Haunted Mansion. Not even very many details about the Haunted Mansion. But we have a whole podcast on the Haunted Mansion, if you want to go back and listen to it. Yes, we do. From uh, the summer. Um, I did watch VHS 94 because I'm a fan of this series, I think. I liked the first two movies. I did not like the third. This one is, I guess, kind of on par with the first two. It's... There's one sequence in the new one that people are screaming about. That's They're the Timo Johanto one. They're saying it's good. And he co-directed that really amazing one in VHS 2 with the cult. We watched it oh. here as part of Scary oh. Movie Night. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he did a new one. And his he listens to the show sometimes. I don't know if he still does, but he used to. Um, so if you're hearing this, Timo, great job. <laughs> so as you were watching VHS 94, were you fingering your shotgun and thinking, you know, JB really needs to be watching this? I mean, I think it's worth watching. I think there's no outright bad segments. I think Timo's is far and away the best. And I wish it was more than an amazing technical exercise, uh, which it is. You watch it and you're like, good God, how did he do this? Um, in terms of story, I don't think any of them are are great. There's no sort of... The, the the thematic 
coherence of the first VHS seems to be like men are awful. Yeah. And that happened by accident because again, everybody was making their segments independently of one another. So it wasn't like they collaborated and said, what should we, yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing about it. The second one and this one don't really have any sort of anything that holds them together. They're just a bunch of found footage anthology segments. Um, But like I said, I don't think there's any bad ones. The Ratmo one has a pretty great effect at the very end of it. Um, The second one, the Simon Barrett one in a funeral home has some pretty great effects. The Timo one is pretty amazing. It's like like 90 minutes, two hours, right? It's just under two hours, yeah. And where is it streaming? On Shudder. Oh, okay. Yeah, it premiered on on Shudder. So it's worth watching. Uh, and then this past weekend, Erica and I did our annual 24-hour marathon. Yes. Uh, so if you were following along on Twitter, you saw what we watched. But we watched, a, I think it was 13 movies when all was said and done. Wow. Um, I slept very little. <laughs> I slept through a little bit of Lust for a Vampire and through a little bit of Alice, Sweet Alice. But otherwise, I was pretty much awake. Let's see. That's why you have to schedule a Fulci film. Oh, yeah. At about 4 a.m. Well, we did Cemetery Man, so I wanted some sort of Italian horror in there. And Torso, which is a Sergio Martino joint. Um, But the two movies that I want to talk about that I think played the best were Firestarter, which is a movie I love. I'm on record as loving. Uh, It doesn't get a lot of attention or affection from the horror community. I think... Not because of this, but people are like, well, it was almost a Carpenter movie, and imagine what could have been. And it's like, well, yeah, the Carpenter version probably would have been better, but I kind of like the Mark Lester version that we got. Um, And then we ended it, because I was on such a Mike Flanagan high from Midnight Mass, we ended it with the director's cut of Dr. Sleep, which Mm. I hadn't seen, and I hadn't seen Dr. Sleep in any iteration since the theater. Oh, okay. And that movie's amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, it's so good. And I, I said something to the effect of it being a miracle because, again, you're talking about a movie that has to function as a movie. It has to function as an adaptation of a Stephen King book. And somehow Mike Flanagan also makes it function as a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's movie. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it does all three is a miracle. Flanagan's a smart cookie. Um, if you'd like objective proof of this... Um, Witness Warner Brothers uh, eating its own tail and trying to uh, make some money off its own IP. And there's two ways to do it. Uh, You got Dr. Sleep, which uh, takes advantage of the fact that Warner Brothers released The Shining. And then you have Ready Player One, (laughs) which also uses The Shining because it was a handy IP because in the book, it's not The Shining. It's Blade Runner. Okay. Um. And Ready Player One, all I remember is cacophony and motion that was too fast for my senses to follow it. And I thought Dr. Sleep was a masterpiece, specifically the way it goes back to the overlook and uses it for its own artistic statement. And it's not just exploiting our nostalgia. And a great Henry Thomas cameo. Yeah. Which I appreciated even more on this viewing because I was like, boy, look what he's doing. And Henry Thomas. It's not an impression. Henry Thomas is very much in Flanagan Stock Company because look at what Henry Thomas does in Midnight Mass. That is a difficult part to pull off, and he he does every note. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was a really, really fun marathon. I got sad when it ended, even though I was super tired, and I'm already looking forward to next year's. Because as I said on the Twitter machine, after doctor sleep, it's time for real sleep. <laughs> that is true. All right, let's get into the Hammer Dracula movies. There's nine or ten of them if you include the Kung Fu one. Well, unfortunately, uh, you have the advantage of being a rapacious collector, and I could not find Seven Golden Vampires streaming anywhere. Oh, okay. And I don't own it. All right. So at the end, we can talk about it. No, I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, so. And I think if I saw it, it was 40 years ago. It's fun as a novelty in terms of like, hey, what if we did a vampire kung fu movie? And Cushing's in it, and that's always sure cause for whatever size celebration. Right. Um, but if we start at the beginning with Horror of Dracula, Horror of Dracula is really a marvel. Um, it's made because Curse of Frankenstein made so much money. But it's really a model of how to streamline a book so that you're spending as much money as you want. That that Hammer is taking advantage of what they have, which is this country manor house and these wonderful costumes and things and these props and these actors. And they don't have a lot of money for special effects. They don't have a lot of money for crowd scenes. They don't have a lot of money for this. But Horror of Dracula still works so well. It's kind of amazing. When you consider what the series quickly becomes. (laughs) I will say, and and there's a chance, just based on the conversations that you and I have had briefly, we try not to talk about them too much because we know we're going to be podcasting on them, but based on the little bit that we have talked about them, I do feel like, okay, there's a chance we might skew a little negative on this episode. And I will say that even though I don't love all of these movies, there's probably only one that I outright disliked. The ones that I don't love, I can totally have on as background noise. Like any of these works as comfort food. And I know the one you're talking about, which was interesting because you got a little ahead of me. (laughs) Well, because I watched them out of order. (laughs) And and you were tweeting. At one point you tweeted, oh, get ready. Satanic rites will make you long for the days of Taste the Blood of Dracula. Yeah. And um, I accidentally watched Satanic Rites before Dracula A.D. 1972, not on purpose, but I, I mixed up the order on the last two. And having just finished Satanic Rites two days ago, okay, um, I really think Satanic Rites is better than Taste the Blood of Dracula. I really do. Which one's Taste the Blood of Dracula? This is, this is the okay. problem. This I is have, what we're going to run into. I have copious Post-it notes okay, in front of me. Okay, thank goodness. And so I have tried to come up with little tiny phrases so that I can remember which movie is which. Okay. Taste the Blood of Dracula is Boy's Night Out. The four rich guys go to the whorehouse and they're looking for experiences. Okay. And uh, Ralph Bates, he's going to take them to this thing where they can enhance their experience. Oh, this is, is this the revenge one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, that one's not great. Which someone has pointed out. Why is Dracula trying to get revenge <laughs> on the four guys who revived him? <laughs> they're sh- the reason I'll you're... I'll show them, damn it. <laughs> they're the reason you're up and longing. So taste... I kind of liked the revenge subplot just because I was like, well, it's something different. It's I don't some... know. Never well, seen Dracula go out for revenge before. I really think it takes a turn in satanic <laughs> rites where suddenly Dracula's got the bubonic plague. Wait, wait, yeah, what? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. In any case, um, Horror of Dracula is great, and 
I don't know if this is a controversial statement or not, especially if you're a fan of Hammer films. I used to think Horror of Dracula was great because of Christopher Lee. I'm now convinced that Horror of Dracula is great because of Peter Cushing. Sure. And obviously this is a question of taste. I could be wrong. It's art. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Last year we watched all the Hammer Frankensteins. Yeah. This year we watched all the Hammer Draculas. Yeah. Peter Cushing is a better actor than Christopher Lee. He's certainly given more to do. And I think that is part and parcel with something I had brought up to you a couple weeks ago, and I brought this wonderful book so I wasn't just talking out of my ass. This book has been out of print forever. It's called The Dracula Book. It's by Donald F. Glute. Uh, talk to John Kitley at his table. He'll get you a copy of it. It's amazing. And I read this as a child, and I checked it out of the library. And then one magical day, I found it in the library, and I took it to check it out. And she said, there's no card in here. This isn't the library's book. That's amazing. And I said, what does that mean? (laughs) And she said, you can have it. Wow. And... It was weird because I already had his Frankenstein book. Yeah. He did a series of these. He used to write for Famous Monsters, a film man. And um, he's amazing. And a couple of years ago, he did an appearance at Horribles. And I finally got to meet him after decades. And it was just like, you have no idea what these books meant to me. So I actually got to talk to him. And I got, to, uh, I got his autograph on the book and stuff. But these were written so long ago in the Frankenstein book. Hammer hadn't finished the series when he published the book. Oh, wow. That chapter ends with, okay. there are rumors that right, they're right, going right. to... So anyway, this is this is a great book about um, Dracula across the spectrum on TV, and on the radio, Hammer, Universal, comic books. It covers it all. I think Peter Cushing took more of an interest because I remember watching the bonus features on Brides of Dracula and Cushing was not happy with the script and asked the studio heads to give it to another writer to polish his lines. So at least he cared enough to say, I really, I really can't see myself saying some of this stuff. It's awkward and awful. Can we do something about it? And he must have had a different opinion of acting or a different agent because as I shared with you, and I have proof in this okay. book. All right. Um, Is it where it says I was right? Yeah. Okay. I got a post-it note <laughs> that says I was right. <laughs> Christopher Lee had become a high-priced star since his debut as Count Dracula in 1958. Here I'm quoting from Glute. Since his salary was computed on a daily basis... Hammer realized that to afford the actor in this and any subsequent Dracula films, his scenes would have to be reduced to a minimum. In Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Lee's scenes were not only brief, but also had no dialogue. This seemed to be an attempt to make the King of Vampires a more spectral character. Lee's lines in Dracula, Prince of Darkness were replaced by a cat-like hissing, which often elicited snickers from the audience who would have otherwise shuddered at the actor's magnificent deep voice. So I think Lee's agent does him a real disservice by trying to get him more money and effectively keeping him from being in enough of the film to be the star. So we get all these supporting performances, all these disciples, all these 
oh, I'm going to revive him. Um, at one point, Dracula's ashes become like instant coffee in this series. <laughs> oh, you got to save that. We could reconstitute that. We could reconstitute that. In fact, spoiler alert, at the end of Satanic Rites, uh, the Van Helsing character does away with Dracula, as we expect him to do, and he becomes ashes, and there's smoke. And because I had watched the other eight films, I'm sitting there waiting for a disciple to show up with a vacuum cleaner. Oh, get that smoke. <laughs> get that smoke. We might want a ninth film. Um, it becomes very silly. So we have at least six Dracula films that don't have a lot of Dracula in them. And the screenwriter has two jobs. At the beginning, how do we bring him back? And that becomes just like the universal horror films. Well, it exploded, so maybe it fell into a sulfur pit. And, oh, the the villagers bombed the dam, so they got swept away in the water and then frozen in the ice. Right. Interesting, because in one of these... does happen. He does freeze. He gets frozen in the ice. Yeah. And then, because the end of Horror of Dracula is so terrific yeah. on every level. The leaping to the curtains and the candlesticks as a cross. I mean, it's just... It's like something out of a comic book. It's so great. The films quickly try to one-up each other in coming up with a demise. So basically the screenwriter is, how do we bring him back? How do we kill him in a spectacular right. fashion at the end? And in the middle, who gives a shit? <laughs> There's a movie where he comes back because a, a, a bat flying overhead oh, yes. bleeds on it. I would say that's the that's the most ridiculous one. Well, and I wanted to I thought to myself, well, how lazy is that? And then I said, Wait, you're a hypocrite. You love all these Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th movies, which do the exact same thing. I mean, there's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie where Freddy is revived from a dog pissing on the ground and yes. he comes back to life. So I'm not in any position to criticize how the Hammer films bring back Dracula is my point. That's Scars, by the way. That's Scars of Dracula where a bat revives him. And then, of course, at the end of that one, he's hit by lightning because we haven't done that yet. And um, I kind of like Scars. Scars goes dark. Scars goes very dark, which, yeah. I, which I give it credit for doing. Yeah. Um, That's one that stood out to me because so many of these, like Taste the Blood and uh, some Risen from the Grave and one other one. They're all kind of running together in my memory, but as, Scars as stood well out. They yeah. As well they should because it's product. Um, Hammer gets to the point where they say we're going to make a Dracula film every year because this is another thing I learned from the Donald F. Gluck book. These films made a lot of money. Sure, They were very, very popular. So if you take anything away from this podcast, it's that this October you need to watch Horror of Dracula again because no matter how many times you've seen it, it's just really, really good. And if you only know Michael Goff as, <laughs> as uh, Alfred, as Alfred yeah. from the Batman movies, uh, Michael Goff is really, really good in Horror of Dracula playing the... You know, he's cynical and he's not going to be convinced by Van Helsing's uh, ravings until he sees it. So Horror of Dracula makes a, a ton of money and then they want to make another one. But Christopher Lee's not available. So <laughs> I think what they decide to do is very telling because just like the Frankenstein movies became the story of the doctor and his adventures, right, right, right. you see them doing the exact same thing with Brides of Frankenstein, maybe our uh, Brides of Dracula, maybe yeah. our Dracula films can actually be about Van Helsing, if only because 
Peter Cushing seems more committed to actually being in the movie <laughs> for as many days as we need him. And Cushing's really good in Brides of of Dracula. Yeah, Brides of Dracula, my big objection, and I said this to you when we were just talking, is that I wish Brides of Dracula had just been called Brides of the Vampire or something that doesn't invoke the name Dracula. Oh, no, I agree. Because it doesn't belong really as part of this series, except that it carries Van Helsing over. But as a standalone movie, it's really good. Yes, especially in terms of how it looks. Yeah. The cinematography, the sets. Um, you can't fault them for not being able to outdo the candlesticks and the curtains. But you have to admit, the windmill, that's pretty clever. That's a pretty clever. It's a, yeah, and it's a really striking set piece. Um, so then Hammer listens to all the people who bitched and moaned about Christopher Lee not being in Brides of, Frank, uh, Brides of Dracula and people saying, I wish they'd called it Bride of the Vampire because Christopher Lee isn't Assholes in it. Assholes like me. And then they make... Dracula, Prince of Darkness, mm. which, how do we make another horror film? Well, let's just reach into this handy bag of horror film tropes, <laughs> and we have four people who are forced to spend a night in an old castle. I'm sorry, the bridge is out. You'll have to sp- right. stay the night, right. which is as old as the hills. Yeah. It's the plot of the cat and the canary, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Um, and that's when we start the uh, Disciple who knows how to revive him. Right. And for the time, the scene in Dracula, Prince of Darkness, when he hangs the guy over the coffin and lets loose with the blood storm and Dracula reconstitutes, people weren't used to seeing that. Okay. Um, I've read multiple sources that that really threw people for a loop, that that was crossing a line that hadn't been crossed. Because, Mm. I mean, think about what you're seeing. I mean, it's literally a bloodbath. Right. And th- it's worth noting, this comes out six years after Brides of Dracula. There's a big gap. Which I noticed when I was doing my seven-word reviews because I wanted to get the dates right. right. And it's sort of amazing. Yeah. Not only is it six years after Brides of Dracula, but it's eight years yeah. after Horror of Dracula. So I guess Christopher Lee is busy making The um, Hound of the Baskervilles and The Mummy and all those other films. And I don't know. Um would you say that except for maybe James Bond fans and uh, Lord of the Rings fans, yeah. that Christopher Lee is most famous for playing Dracula? Yeah, I think so. And I find that ironic because I don't think he liked playing Dracula. Okay. I don't think he enjoyed it. I don't think I, he enjoyed it at all. And say what you want about Cushing, Cushing <laughs> seems to be enjoying himself. Yeah. Although Cushing had his little peccadillos too. Um, Cushing was obsessed with costumes and props. Okay. He thought it was the foundation of his acting. Ah. If he can wear the clothes right. and play with right, the right, stuff right, right, as right. if it were real. Okay. And I've read and seen in the bonus features on the Shout Factory discs <clears throat> that he was sort of obsessive about, you know, I need time with these pliers or I need time <laughs> with this coat, which I applaud him for because if you look at the end of Brides of Dracula – um, except for him jumping onto the windmill, which is a stuntman, all that stuff in the fire, yeah. he did. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's commitment. Yeah, for I sure. I love Peter Cushing. Yeah, he's great. Dracula, Prince of Darkness is the one is the first one where he where Dracula doesn't talk. Right. Which then in my head was like, oh, so from this point forward, he's just angry snake Dracula and he's not going to talk but then he does talk in later movies so I get completely confused as to which Dracula we're going to get each time out and then 
The next one is Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Which, it's worth noting, if anyone is looking to buy me a gift, I desperately need a one sheet of Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. The famous one sheet? It's the greatest poster I've ever seen. Are we talking about the same poster? The black and white photo of the girl's neck with the two pink band-aids. And it says Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, ellipses, obviously. (laughs) It's so great. And And it's selling a different movie. Glute credits um, the success of the film with the advertising campaign because the other poster, <clears throat> if you're looking to complete your set, um, <laughs> I can't. is a picture of Christopher Lee in his coffin with the stake in him. And the text says, the last time we saw Dracula, he was having a bad time. Ellipses. The key to the advertising campaign is the ellipses, but you can't keep a good man down. Nice. And that's the other poster. But yeah, the poster with Veronica oh Carlson, gosh. With the, is it a is it band aids or two it's two pink band aids? Okay, yeah, with the band aids. It's a very famous. It's poster. so striking. Now, as opposed to that, which is clever and fun, we get a plot from Dracula's Risen from the Grave. Oh, what a surprise! The young priest and the old priest, and there's a matter of faith here because hmm. again, we have to remember this is based on Christian tradition, and it leads us in Dracula's Risen from the Grave to the ridiculous thing that only hammer ever did dracula gets staked but he's able to pull the stake out because there's a prayer you have to say and our protagonist is an atheist and he can't pray so that's a thing that's a thing we could put on the screen that's something that people could watch and maybe have a thought about i liked Dracula has risen from the grave more than Dracula, Prince of Darkness, because I found myself in I found myself able to invest in the relationship between I would say Paul. His name is Paul. Yes. But all of these movies have a Paul. Oh, so, yeah. It, 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 Paul the Baker. That's well, how it, I keep it. It's, straight. A, it's a Paul that's cast <laughs> over your enjoyment. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. I will agree with you that while I have no love for risen from the grave. It is better than uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness. I can invest in the story of Paul and Maria more so than the four people in the mansion yes. I, who I don't care about. And, I was like, well, I kind of care about these people. And perhaps the four rich men in the next one. Well, especially. Uh, the actor who plays Paul, Barry Andrews, only made a couple of movies, but one of them we just watched this weekend as part of our marathon. We watched blood on satan's claw and i was like that's paul the baker and he's like the lead of blood on satan's claw which is and that's such a good movie one of the many pleasures of watching these films even though we might be a little critical of them uh they're being made at a busy british studio in the 60s and 70s so some of the people who are going to cross our paths and boy this time when i watched satanic rights i was like wait a minute what and I'm looking things That's up. That's Judy Dench. And I'm like, yes, it's not Judy Dench. I know Dench, it's not Judy but Dench. But we'll get to we'll get to uh, uh, satanic rites um, later. So taste the blood of Dracula. There's these four rich men who are complete hypocrites because the one the the leader of this band is just the biggest jackass, and he's the, the self righteous, and he's telling everyone else how to live. And then we go to this weird house of prostitution where there's a gay bald man who's going to show us to our yeah and i only bring that up because that character is featured so prominently in the trailer okay one of my halloween cds has the soundtrack 
to the trailer for Taste the Blood of Dracula. Okay, okay. And it's full of that guy. Interesting. Oh, I've got something for you. <laughs> and it's not just a caricature that won't be that accepted in just a couple decades. <laughs> um, and then Ralph Bates shows up as the disciple, as Lord Courtley, who's going to be there. <laughs> and obviously, he's only there because Lee can only be there for four days, because if Lee could be there for every day of shooting, there'd be no reason for Lord Courtley, right, right. because Dracula would say, I got something to show yeah, you. Right. And then Dracula would fuck them over, <laughs> as he always does. Maybe at this point, if Lee had put in some more time, we would have discovered that in Taste the Blood of Dracula... Dracula already has the bubonic plague. Perhaps they could have seeded that earlier. Yeah, that and if you're going to We could equate, have seen him contract it. If you're going to if you're going to equate Dracula with a plague, which is sort of Say, I'm bubonic. A little a little That's on my the Christopher nose. Lee. It's not good. I just tried to go deeper. Um so you should avoid taste the blood of Dracula. Uh, the revenge thing I kind of was like, well, I've never seen Dracula take revenge before. But again, like weird ordinary revenge. I would enjoy it more <laughs> if it made sense. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, there's plenty of people to be mad at, but not these guys. And sure. then um which leads us to Scars of Dracula, which we briefly talked about. Uh a bat uh spits some blood onto the tang that is now Dracula and uh, reconstitutes him for outer space. Uh for some reason the disciple Clove is resurrected in the body of a different actor. So right, different clove. Is It's not supposed to be the clove from... I don't think so. Yeah, I know. But, we, uh, but then that makes... It's a tale of two cloves. Well, <laughs> clove of garlic. <laughs> um, clove of cinnamon. Um, but then it makes you wonder, if you were writing the screenplay, wouldn't you at least go back and read the other ones? Because there's other <laughs> names. You would think. Could clove in scars be the son of the original clove could like a scars, George Foreman situation could scars of Dracula actually been titled son of clove I've got 12 kids and they're all named clove <laughs> and I love every single one of them well one except of them, for clove he's a prick one of them got the bubonic plague <laughs> but that's a story for another day and scars of course is the film where uh, Dracula is hit by lightning and which, murders a church full of people yes and brutally stabs a woman, like, on camera. I, I was really taken aback by some of the violence in this movie. And if, if, if no, one, no one listening to this should do what we did. No one should <laughs> sit down and watch all eight. But I will say this. It was very instructive in a way I've never experienced before of how the ratings become looser, how the films oh, yeah. become more violent. Yeah. And by the time we get to Satanic Rites... I'm bridling at the nudity, which seems really exploitative. And, hey, you Dracula fans, how about tits? It really Scars is the first R-rated one, right? Yeah, I believe Do so. Do I have that right? Because there's a little bit of nudity and then, like I said, some, some heavy-ass violence. And then someone decides, even though at Bray Studios, you have all these buildings and all these sets and all these costumes, and God knows they have a a horse-drawn coach because it's in every goddamn movie um, that we want it. We want to be a little bit more modern to appeal to kids. And so we're going to set the film in modern day. We're going to make Dracula AD 1972. And I want to read you something that, that 
uh, Christopher Lee said about this, and it's amazing because um, he appeared in the film and cashed his check. Okay. Uh, Dracula A.D. 1972 takes place in modern times. Right, in 1972. I believe someone finds the tang. Yeah, and... it's like a hippie would-be cult leader. Because that's the film that starts with the party right. that looks exactly like the party in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls right. and, and Austin Powers. I right. mean, it's the same party. But Caroline Monroe is in it, which makes it automatically better than the same movie without Caroline Monroe. Okay, I'll... I'll... I agree with you about that. All right, that. good, good, good. Um, we're on the same page. So we're now talking about Christopher Lee on Dracula A.D. 1972, a film he agreed to appear in, <laughs> appeared in, and was paid for. I'm quoting. I think it's all wrong, mind you. I think it's totally and completely wrong to take it out of context, out of the historical period, out of the Gothic period, and put it in modern times. And then, it, like, you can hear his press agent whispering in his ear. But from what I've told, in a weird way, it quite works. <laughs> so he has to maintain his integrity as an artist. But he's no fool, and right, he understands right. what's happening um, uh, to these movies. Uh, to continue, we're still talking about A.D. 1972. Quote, I'm doing the next one under protest. I just think it's fatuous. I can think of 20 adjectives, fatuous, pointless, absurd. It's not a comedy. At least with me, it's not a comedy. But it's a comic title. I don't see the point. I don't see what they hope to achieve. I think it's playing down to people. I don't think people like it. I don't think people appreciate it either, because people who go to see a character like this go to see him seriously. They don't laugh at him, that I know. They may laugh at some of the things in the picture, but they'll never laugh at me, to my knowledge. The next one takes place not in a ruined church, but in a modern building, while the character can only be described as a mixture between Howard Hughes and Dr. No. Pause, pause, pause. But from what I'm told, it quite works. It quite works. <laughs> that's, that's what someone told me. <laughs> I'm told it's very good. Um, so... We have uh, Dracula A.D. 1972 revolving around a black mass in a cemetery. And doesn't every group of friends have the one crazy disciple of the dark of arts? Of course. Who, and from what I read... For this movie, it's Adam Risky. Uh, Christopher Neem, who's the black sheep in that film, uh, got famous because a lot of people compared him favorably to Malcolm McDowell. He was sort of the... Okay. He was sort of the poor man's Malcolm McDowell. All right. All right. And for the first half of Dracula A.D. 1972, I kept thinking he was the same actor in Star Wars. Your clairvoyance hasn't given mm. you to mm -hmm. the stolen data tapes or that old, you know, the guy who gets yeah, choked. Yeah, yeah. But it's that's not mm. it's not the same. Actor. Bummer. Uh, 1972 has, again, the novelty of being set when it's set. I sure. didn't love the movie, but again, when you're watching eight or nine of these consecutively, you're like, well, it's a little different. I I will give them this. They tried something yeah. different. Yeah. Didn't work. No, not especially. Christopher from what Lee, I'm told. Christopher Lee said he became very tired of them coming up with a new approach and then reverse engineering how to get Dracula into it. He said they should have started with the character. Right, right. That makes more sense. Yes, absolutely. And then we get to my least favorite. Satanic Rites. Satanic Rites. And I have to say, 
Um, we don't often disagree. Yeah. But maybe after being pounded by these Hammer Dracula films that I did not like, yeah. I'm at the end of my rope. And we actually used to have a, a saying for this, that you're that you've been pounded by awfulness and you're you're looking for any shred of something to keep you yeah, right. involved in the enterprise. Right. So Satanic Rites uh, seems to me to be very much like a James Bond film. Um, the secret lair, mm-hmm. um, the people being held, the, the secret army. It's an army of men in furry vests <laughs> uh, who drive motorcycles yeah. for some reason. Yeah. And I'm watching Satanic Rites... And the um, the authorities think there's something wrong going on in this castle. And there's this uh, police inspector, who, by the way, is the only person other than Christopher Lee to appear in more than one of these movies as the same character. I believe it's uh, Michael Coates oh. plays Inspector Murray in uh, A.D. 1972 and Satanic Rites. I didn't, I don't even think I picked up on that, maybe because I watched them out of order. And I'm watching Satanic Rites, and maybe I'm just rejoicing because I know my journey is almost at an end. Yeah, right, right, right. And I'm enjoying it. But again, that whole thing about the character actors like Carolyn Monroe and Christopher Neem kick in, and I'm watching, and the guy who's in charge of the police officers who think something is amiss looks really familiar. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, could it be? Could it be? And I looked it up, and I was so happy I did. His name is Richard Vernon, and he's been in a boatload of films. Okay. But the reason why I recognize oh, him is at the beginning of A Hard Day's Night, he's the guy in the train car, I Fought the War oh, for no Your kidding. Sword. And then, if that's not good enough, because, good Christ, Hard Day's Night and Satanic Rites of Dracula, you're yeah, in my right. book. He's in Goldfinger. He's the guy who lets Bond borrow the bar of gold to bait Goldfinger with? Okay. That's the same actor. Yeah, wow. And the pretty girl is Joanne Lumley, who later appears in Absolutely Fabulous. Right. She's one of the, the drunken women. And Freddie Jones shows She's up. Jessica Van Helsing. As uh, Freddie Jones shows up as that tragic professor who does the work and then meets his end. And Freddie Jones was later in The Elephant Man as the carnival guy who's keeping okay. um, John Merrick. I did not put well. any of this together, so, really, until you're mentioning all this. Because My perhaps, eyes have glazed over. Because perhaps Satanic Rites is short of entertainment value, <laughs> this is getting me through it. Okay. Because, A, these character actors are great, English character actors are great. But the other thing I really liked about Satanic Rites is there's a scene where Dracula gets Van Helsing's descendant. I think he's called Larimer in this one. Okay. Um, Dracula gets Larimer, Van Helsing, played by Peter Cushing, right, in an office, and they talk to each other. And this is the best scene in the movie for two reasons. It's like heat. Exactly. <laughs> it's... It's the one scene where right. the two actually talk. Right. But also, Dracula is trying to trick Van Helsing, so Dracula is doing an accent. Dracula is disguising his voice because he doesn't sound that way in the rest of the film. He's trying to convince Van Helsing he's from someplace else. And it's, you watch He's doing it, a Borat impression? Not quite. I'm Dracula. Not quite. Nice. But it's like, 
This is the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen. Think about why you go to Dracula movies. For to see Dracula. Okay. But think about other reasons that you might like Dracula films. Okay. And this film is giving us a scene in a modern office building where Dracula <laughs> and Van Helsing talk to each other. And Dracula is doing this vaudeville accent to convince <laughs> Van Helsing that he's not Dracula. I'm sitting there and it's like, after eight movies, have I lost my mind? Am I dreaming this? Is this actually in the film? And then the screenwriter shows up and says, okay, I'm going to outdo all those other Hammer Dracula films. The tree that Jesus Cross was made out of oh, yeah. was this yeah. tree that, oh, no, it wasn't the cross. It was the crown of thorns. Right. It has these thorns. And although you've never read about it or seen it in any movie, that's part of the mythology, too. Dracula has to stay away from these thorns. Let, I'll just leave it at that. Um, and then we have this risible ending. How many times, because the disintegration scene in Horror of Dracula is so famous, yes. justifiably so, yes. have they tried to duplicate right. it poorly? Yeah. <coughs> yeah, again, it's it's better when they drop him into ice or something because I don't need to be reminded of something that works by something that doesn't. Although, and this is something, this is a conclusion I arrived at after watching all eight films. One of the reasons why Horror of Dracula is so entertaining and works so well and holds up is that they never try to do stuff they can't do. The filmmakers know their limitations. So... In the Hammer Dracula film, am I, is it C? Now I can't, uh -oh. I can't remember which is which. Um, no, it's, it's uh, Dracula has risen from the grave. Your favorite. When, no, not your favorite, sorry. When Dracula goes through the ice, yeah. um, it's a round piece of ice that seems connected on two ends like a little oh, round yeah, right. shelf. Right, right, right. And it looks like something out of a Warner Brothers cartoon. Yes. This is where Dracula goes. It's not a <laughs> You know, it, it's like, whoa, whoa. It's like you... Um, to be fair, he doesn't fall through until he looks down. <laughs> but throughout any film that doesn't have the word horror or bride in it, you see them hoping beyond hope that their meager resources will lend something other sure. than at one point there's rocks on top of him and it's sort of bad stop motion animation and all the rocks move and it's Dracula's face and there's a magician. <laughs> um, the films would be so much better off if they didn't even try anything right. resembling modern makeup or special effects because it never comes off correctly. Um, although they did get pretty good at the stakings. Yeah. Which again, for the time was you would, you had never seen that before. Right. Also in terms of horror of Dracula, the infamous uh, scene at the end where he decomposes and the extra footage was found and incorporated into the BFI oh, the, version, the, the... but not the Warner archive Correct. version. So if you're going to watch the Warner Archive version, which looks astoundingly yeah. good, 
you have to go on YouTube to just watch that extra footage. There's also a couple extra seconds of the scene with Dracula and the woman where he's, it's a little bit more obvious what he's doing. But apparently the third piece of footage that they didn't find is that the British censor objected to a scene of Harker after he was staked. And that has never been put back in the film. Interesting. Which I don't think Donald Glute has ever seen it, but he concludes that it's odd that that got shorn considering what's still in the film itself. That seems, it seems arbitrary. And you imported a Japanese Blu-ray of the, the uncut, correct? It's I, it's region B and it's from England. Oh, why did I think it was Japanese? Because the whole thing was, oh, and remember for years and years, everyone thought Forrest Jackerman was just making it up. Right. And then they found it. And it was like, oh my God, he sometimes he wasn't lying. <laughs> but in but in Glute's book, I discovered Glute interviewed Christopher Lee, and Christopher Lee talks about it in this oh, book okay. and said it was only for Asian countries that proved that they had a stronger stomach for gore and that there wouldn't be an uproar. So as early as this book, yeah, right. people knew it wasn't just something he had made up. Okay. And I have to say, the 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 Warner Archive Blu-ray is is one of the most beautiful looking discs discs I've ever seen, and apparently the the um, the restoration wasn't as difficult as with Curse of Frankenstein. With Curse of Frankenstein, they really had to pull some technical wizardry because of the state of the negative and stuff. Um, it was a disappointment that they weren't able to include that footage because it really makes the sequence even more. Yeah, you've you've seen it on YouTube. I think on YouTube, yeah. And it's, I somehow wish we could have the best of both right, worlds. Right, right. But if that were true, we'd have the Spanish version of Dracula with Bela Lugosi and Dwight Fry in it. Sure. Um, last year we did this podcast and Curse of Frankenstein was not out on Blu-ray and we manifested it into the world because shortly after the podcast it was announced. We did. And again, considering what they were up against, that disc, I can't believe. I don't think I've watched it yet. I can't believe how good it looks. Yeah considering what they didn't have. Okay. That they were missing some of the original materials. Between Warner Archive and Scream Factory, all of the Hammer Draculas are on Blu-ray because I have them all. Yes. And that's how I watched them, and that's always a good feeling when you come downstairs and you're like, all right, there's that one. And sometimes when you buy it right away, you get a poster with it. And I have to say, I'm trying to remember who did the poster. It might be Mark Maddox. The poster that came with Dracula, Prince of Darkness, is very beautiful. Nice. I had it on display for a while in my uh, office until it was uh, replaced by something else. Next year, we're doing, like, the weird also-rans, right? That's what I was hoping. Okay. Because if you look at the other ones... Yeah. um, Curse of the Werewolf. Which I love, and you have some quibbles. Uh, oh, just that it takes an hour and a half before the werewolf shows up. But the, I enjoy the movie. The Mummy. Okay, which I've never seen. Okay, I have that one. And they tried Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde twice. I've seen one of them. And one of them, I think, is called I, Monster. Okay, that's not the one I've seen. Um, And I'm not, I don't mean Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, although we could include that. That's no, got that's Ralph right. Bates in it from, right. from Taste the Blood. No, that's not necessary. Okay, well, we have a year yes. to figure out the parameters, but right. a year from now, we will be doing the Hammer Potpourri. I like it. 
Uh, thank you guys very much for listening. Please make sure that you're still participating in the Scary Movie Challenge. Go to fthismovie.com every day during Scary Movie Month for more Scary Movie content. Follow us on Twitter at fthismovie. Listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your audio content. Or you can email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, j I'm so thirsty. <laughs> listening to FS Movie. <laughs> <laughs>